You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we've got a special show for you today. We've got a special guest to talk with. Uh, he's former now, now a former member of the USC Athletic Department, William Bill Holland. So you might know him from his playing days back in the 60s and 70s for USC football. We want to talk to him about that and his transition to the business world. And then ultimately coming over to the athletic department and helping with the transition for this new athletic department leadership. But we have him on the line right now. Uh, Bill Holland, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, Ryan. How are you? Can't complain. You know, it's uh, weird times right now. Uh, it's been weird times in the athletic department, but I guess that's complicated by the whole pandemic thing. I mean, it's been double weird for you guys over there. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't. I don't think anyone uh, had a game plan for this. Uh, I don't care how experienced you are. You don't have this experience. No, this is all. Everyone's flying by the seat of their pants. <laughs> This one is we're doing our best. And um, we, so I, I, it started, this started, uh, when did you transition to uh, the athletic department? Cause that's kind of when we got word like, Oh, Bill Holland's working at USC, but more on the fundraising side. When was that? When did that transition happen? I moved over to the athletic department. I think it was uh, January the 15th, uh, like midweek. Yes. So, yeah, so so back in January, I guess, is when uh, you kind of came up on our radar. We put something in our, our war room reporting like, hey, it looks like USC is bringing over uh, Bill Holland. And if you don't know, uh, Bill did play football for the Trojans back in the day. And maybe we'll go back there before we uh, start you know, talking about your time at USC right now. But how did you end up coming to USC and playing football for a legendary coach like John McKay? Well, you know, it was interesting. It, it probably will go to, uh, the credit will go to my mother. Right before I started high school, my mother my mother told me that she wanted me to go to college, uh, but she had no money then. And uh, in three years, she would not really have money at that time either. So I had to get a scholarship or go into the service. And so uh, I was pretty good in a couple sports. I, I played uh baseball my 10th grade year. I ran track for three years and I played football for three years. And as a result, I I came out and I had a number of scholarship offers and I kind of narrowed it down to two schools. And the two schools were Michigan and and USC. And I chose Michigan because I really wanted to get away and go. And so I ended up signing a big 10 lever intent to go to Michigan. And uh, came home to my mom, and she wasn't really that pleased because she really wanted me to stay home. And so, ultimately, I told her that I would go to SC, but this is the last decision get, she gets to make for me. 
as it turns out, as it turns out, it was the best decision. <laughs> was it? Mom always knows best. Is that a? <laughs> always knows best. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, well, you know, you were a, a fullback, right, for USC. Yep. Yes. Uh, uh, there's the big one. You know, we'll talk about the 1970 Alabama game in a minute, but the. Any other kind of memorable moments you had, like, throughout your USC career? Well, I, I remember just not knowing the rules of the game, you know, because I had five older brothers and sisters, but no one in my family had gone to to college. Uh, I didn't have anyone in my cousins, aunts, uncles. No one in my family tree had gone to college, and so it was all new for me. And And so – when uh, I remember getting to SC and uh, not understanding that because I was on athletic scholarship, I couldn't work during the school year. And that was really strange for me because I had been working jobs ever since I was 12 years old. I had three jobs when I was 12 years old. Wow. And not working was, was like really strange for me. So that was one thing. The second thing was the fact that the freshman team only played three games. And the rest of the time, they just dummied up against the varsity. And I, I really didn't like that. I, I wanted to play more games. And so I had a high school coach who was leaving L.A. high school and was going to East L.A. College. And so I contacted him and I said, is there any way I could come out there and play for you guys for a semester and then transfer into SC? Uh, and they told me yes. Oh. And then when I contacted the SC coaches, they said, well, you can do that but you have to have 24 units of B average work. So that summer I, I went, I took uh, six units uh, in a junior college. And then I took uh, 18 units during the semester uh, at East LA. And I had the highest GPA on the football team. I transferred in with like a 3.2, uh, 24 units of, of credit. And I, I went on from there. Wow. Just to play some extra football games. That's pretty impressive. It worked out. It worked out. I got a chance to run freshman tracks, and then uh, we went on from there. So the, we mentioned the uh, 1970 Alabama game, obviously, you know, legendary game. Um, if I'm not mistaken, both uh, you and Sam Bam Cunningham were both like backup fullbacks going into that game. And, you know, Sam gets a couple of touchdowns over 100 yards and, you know, makes uh, all the history books and everything. But uh, anything memorable about that game for you? Well, yeah, it was. I mean, Sam and I have talked about this many, many times, but Charlie Evans was the starting fullback that night. Sam was second team. I was third team. And uh, Charlie got one touchdown. Sam got two. I got one. Clarence Davis got one. I can't recall who got the other one. But, you know, it was a great night. It was a great night. We took them to him pretty good. I got the last touchdown. Nice. Made it 42 to 13. And then with maybe a minute or so to go in the game, they scored a touchdown and got a two-point conversion, made it 42-21, and uh, that was it. Yeah, 42-21, it was, you know, obviously people talk about that as a game that you know, integrated the South and helped Bear Bryant you know, uh, allow African-American players to come onto his, his football team. Are there any kind of like – yeah, people tell the story a lot. Are there, do, you, do you hear some stories that you're like, yeah, that's not really how it happened or – has it been pretty accurate the way it's been depicted? Well, no. There, uh, some people have taken liberties with uh, what they remember, I think. <laughs> uh, the, one, 
the one thing I, I, I do remember is the, the fact that so much was made about what Alabama didn't do in terms of integration and so forth, but so little was made of what Coach John McKay did do with regard to that. Uh, we had black coach, we had a black coach in Willie Brown. We had black players at all positions. We had a black quarterback, um, uh, and we had black wide receivers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. We had, we had, you know, integration across, across. We, we run black and white players together. Uh, Jimmy Jones been a black quarterback in those days. That was almost unheard of in major college football. And, and so uh, you credit John McKay with that because John McKay wanted the best players, no matter what position you played, no matter what color you were. And, uh, and that's what he went after because he wanted to put together uh, a winning team. I mean, I don't know you, you being a, you know, you're a young black man, go, you know, on a team that's integrated, like you said, going into the deep South, did you kind of know that, you know, it was going to be a little crazy. Did you feel uncomfortable at all? Or was it unsafe? And did you kind of realize what was happening when you guys were you know playing that game? Well, I had little or no experience in the South. I was from Cleveland, Ohio, but there were a number of players on the team. Tody Smith, who grew up in Beaumont, Texas, he knew about the South, and some of the other players knew about the South. And you know what you read in the newspapers and you hear and what was going on in the country at that time. So uh, it, it wasn't the, the warmest feeling you had going into that game, and you knew that uh, Coach Bear Bryant, it was an all-white team. And so uh, that wasn't by accident. And so uh, it, it was tough. It was a tough situation going in. Uh, first game of the season, uh, 1970. We're coming off a very good year in 69. Didn't have the best of team in 70 and 71. Actually, we won the national championship in 72. But those were kind of lean years. The, the 70 and the 71 team, we uh, we took second we in the pack behind uh, Plunkett and uh, when he was up at Stanford. Yeah. And they won the Rose Bowl those two years. And we had gone the four previous years. But uh, that being said, it, it was a good enough team uh, that uh, we went down there and we took care of business. Yeah. A lot of touchdowns from all you guys, all the, all the running backs. Um, you also had a NFL career. I don't, probably wasn't, it wasn't extremely long, right? But you had a career with the Atlanta Falcons. Right. I was, I was picked by the Atlanta Falcons and, uh, made the team, uh, got hurt right at the last preseason game, scored a touchdown, felt really good about everything that was going on, made it through all the cuts. Then, uh, they kept me on my leg locked up about the third week. And then I had to have operation and that was it. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but it, it did look like it opened up some opportunities for you. Uh, in the business world from that, I mean, was, we'll talk about your kind of business career, but did the, any parallels, I guess, from achievements in athletics that helped you have such a successful career in business? Well, you know, I was undergrad in business. I got a master's in public administration. I came back later uh, and got a second master's in business with an emphasis in organizational behavior. Always knew that I, I wanted to, to go into corporate America. And I, I actually, I had a chance to get into coaching or, or refereeing. My uh, beginning of my second year in high school, uh, my principal 
was a guy by the name of Norm Schachter. And Norm Schachter was the head official in the NFL. And we developed a fairly close relationship. And I even invited him to my, my graduation uh, at USC. And he wrote me a letter back and he thanked me uh, for inviting him and wished me the best of luck. And he told me at that time, he said, if you ever want to get into coaching at any level or officiating at any level, just to let me know and that uh, he would help me out. And so I had a, I had a road map kind of laid out for me that he could help me, but I chose to go the opposite direction because I really wanted to be in corporate America. So after the, you know, you get injured with the Falcons, is that when you went back and got your two masters at USC or was it USC? Maybe I'm mistaken there, but that's what you went back. Yes. It was uh, the first week of February, 1972 was really a a, a huge week for me because uh, they had the NFL draft, I believe is two days. And then I got drafted on the second day. It may have been like a Tuesday, Wednesday. and, And then College graduation was maybe like a Thursday or Friday, one of those days. And then on Monday, I started grad school and wow. because I was a February a spring graduate. And, and so it started right away for me. So I got in a full semester, went away, played ball, was on, the, on their uh, roster for a year. And then I came back and I took up uh, where I left off. I went through a semester and then through the summer and I had my master's in public administration. And then later, when I started working at uh, at Hughes Aircraft, they had a program where people wanted to go back and get master's degree in engineering or business. They could do so, and Hughes would pay 100% of that. And that's when I went back and I, I got a, a second master's in business. Oh wow, yeah. So um, you you know you've led up uh, human resources departments for big companies like Hilton, Arco, and you mentioned. Hughes Aircraft Company. I wanted to talk to you about that specifically because, um, I, you know, when I graduated from USC in 93, I started working as an engineer at Hughes Aircraft Company in 92, like after my summer of my junior year. And I did the same sort of thing. I did a rotation program. So I worked at different departments, but they also put me on this fellowship program where they would pay for your master's degree and you would take them remotely. They're over, like we could take them online today, but then it was like they had cameras in different uh, classrooms and stuff. We would take uh, remote classes and I did my master's while working at Hughes. So we have something in common there that we both <laughs> had Hughes paid for our, our master's degrees. Right. I mean, it was a great program. Uh, I had a choice when I went there, a couple of different departments and uh, I chose human resources and uh, I just liked the feel of it. And the job I had uh, was actually helping other um, employees go back and, and get uh, additional educational work, whether it's a certificated program, uh, some finished undergrad degrees, uh, many, many uh, received master's degrees in engineering, mostly electrical and, mechan- uh, electrical and mechanical engineering, um, and then also uh, uh, some MBA types. Yeah. Yeah, I did electrical engineering. Uh, what? Just curious, what years were you there at Hughes? I was there from 1974 to 1980. Okay, so before my yeah, I didn't get there till you know the early 90s. But um, it's so funny that they they still had that program going at the same time. And it, it, I'm glad. I mean, I I don't think I would have because I was in the working world. I don't know if I would have gone back and got a master's had they not had that program. So I was really uh, happy to do that. So funny we have that kind of thing in in common. Um, 
Then what? At what point did you join? Uh, go back to USC because uh, you you're. I guess where you're going to be working again, and where you work you were working before as a senior director of special programs in the university advancement area. When did you kind of join that and or start working at USC again? Well, I actually started working at USC February the first uh, of 2016, uh, and it was interesting because the only place I, you know. I finished my career uh, with Hilton Hotels, so I spent six years working at Hughes Aircraft. Then I spent 19 years at Arco uh, in their corporate headquarters. And then the last uh, 11 years, I was with uh, Hilton Hotels, and I was vice president in human resources. And so uh, I ended up, you know, they had had a relocation. They moved back to Virginia. They moved their corporate office from Beverly Hills to Virginia. And I didn't want to go. And they kept me out here for a year doing consulting with them. And they thought they could talk me into going back. And I still <laughs> didn't want to go. So I ended up retiring. And so I was, I was retired for five years. Oh, wow. And okay. I was, uh, I was still active with the university because I'd been in the board of counselors when I was working with uh, ARCO and a board of counselors with the school of public administration. And I was on the board of governors, uh, uh, representing the black alumni association when, uh, when I was retired. And so I was in a meeting and Al Cecchio, the senior VP over advancement. Uh, I was in a meeting with him and I, I guess he liked what I had to say or my participation in the meeting. And afterwards he asked me, if I had ever thought about working at USC. And I told him at the time that that was my dream job. Oh, wow. I had, uh, I had benefited from uh, going to, to SC uh, and I had benefited from scholarships. And I told him that other than um, one semester and one summer, that all my education was paid for through grants or scholarships or, or, or some programs. And, and so I told him that I would really like to raise money for scholarships because I thought scholarships were the great equalizer. And for those kids who couldn't run and jump, uh, they should have an opportunity to go to SC and experience uh, what I had to experience. And so I told him if he had anything like that uh, where I could work at SC and raise money for scholarships, that... Uh, I would be interested. And he said, yeah, we do have something like that. And so <laughs> one thing led to another, ended up applying, going through the process. And I, I got a job working at Central Advancement. And again, I was raising money for scholarships. Oh, that's, that's great. And then, like we mentioned at the top of the show, I asked you, so it was January of this year, of uh, you know, early 2020, um, when you know there's the transition going on in the USC athletic department. And they needed to fill some roles. And, you know, we, we kind of got word. There was like, hey, they were going to hire Bill Holland. I was like, you know, you remember the name from the football stuff. And I, I didn't realize you were actually working at USC at the time. Uh, but you became the interim senior associate athletic director for development. How did that come to be? How did you, they get involved? You get involved with that? Well, Al Cecchio knew my, my sports background. And a number of people knew that uh, I was pretty good when it came to management, leadership, and my emphasis was organizational behaviors. So being the, when I left 
Hilton, I had, I think, 12 to 14 people reporting to me at different levels. And so taking over a group that had roughly the same amount of, of people would not be difficult. It was just a tough, trying time because of all the things that were going on with the university. And Al asked me if, if I wanted to do, think about doing this full time. And I told him no. And I told him no for two very good reasons on, on my part. I told him no, one, because I thought that, that uh, Mike uh, should have an opportunity to bring in his own person. And I also felt that whoever came in, that person should be willing to work five, six years uh, straight through. And that wasn't me because I, w I was kind of nearing retirement again, and I didn't want to work that many years. And so I told him that if, if it, it would take him seven months, eight months to find somebody, that's fine. If it took him longer, I'm okay with that. But I did not want to be uh, considered for the full-time position. And so with that understanding, I went in and uh, I was given an opportunity to lead a really group of really great people. The uh, What were your duties uh, over the past? I guess it's been six months or so since you took over and now you're transitioning back uh, to the central advancement. But what kind of duties did you have? And, you know, a couple months in, the pandemic hits, and I don't know if it made things, and I'm sure it made things more challenging, but any any specific challenges that that uh, brought in, you know, in front of you? Well, I was really looking forward to uh, participating in some of the athletic events that I uh, had not really had an opportunity to, to participate in. Um, I wanted to go to the tournament, the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. And it was, I, uh, I flew to Vegas and it was a Wednesday and we were going to play uh, actually Thursday, the next day in the afternoon. And so Wednesday night, we had a dinner with a group, uh, a, gr uh, a group of alums, uh, uh, and then the next day we were going to have a breakfast meeting with another group of about 40. But that evening when I came back from dinner, I could tell things weren't going the right way. And so we canceled the breakfast for the next morning. Uh, then we we're told we we're going to have limits in the number of people in the, in the stands. And so they went through that. And then before, before we knew it, the next morning, everything was canceled. Yeah. And so I went there on a Wednesday and I actually drove home uh, with Tim Teslone, uh and, uh, and Jennifer Noriega coming back from uh, coming back from Las Vegas uh, to L.A. And so I was disappointed we didn't get the tournament for a number of reasons. Yeah. But uh, that happened. Um, and then, you know, we were kind of put on hold because, you know, during that period, starting February 1 uh, through like the first week of March, that's when we go through our renewals for season ticket holders. And so we'd actually sent out the information. We're getting the renewals. And what we don't get in renewals were people calling in by about the 7th of, uh, of March. Then we get on the phones and we start calling people and go through that process. Well, that very next that very next week, uh, we were in on, when we came back from Vegas, I was in the office on a Friday, and then starting that Monday, they sent us home, and we're still, they we're still at home to this point. Wow. And so those things that we would normally do, we didn't get a chance to do. So it was just a series of communications trying to keep our people up to speed on what we're doing. Uh, and then in the later months, uh, 
in the June time period, they start letting us go and talk to people about solicitations for for scholarships. One of the initiatives that I, I wanted to start and I did start while I was there is um, I wanted to raise scholarship money for non-revenue generating sports. Going through this pandemic, we've had over 150 programs uh, eliminated across the country. And you saw where Stanford had, uh, they eliminated 11 of their sports. They had 36, went down to 25, uh, and plus 20, 20 different staff members. And so what I wanted to do was to uh, start a program where we could raise endowment scholarship money for the other 21 different sports, such that if, if those sports are endowed, then tough times like this, those sports would not be eliminated and those scholarships would not be eliminated. So we, we figured out what it was going to cost, um, roughly $240 million. We have the third largest act, uh, athletic endowment of $230 million, uh, only behind Stanford and North Cam uh, UC uh, uh, North Carolina, University of North Carolina. And, and so, you know, we're going to start down that path of, of trying to raise money uh, for those non-revenue generating sports. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't even realize that was a, 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 a new initiative. So that's uh, that's really interesting. And it's smart too, because obviously you're, you're seeing sports get cut. If you have that endowment there, or at least it's, you know, that rainy day fund. So if something does happen when you can't play and tournaments get canceled and things like that, you have something to fall back on. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned one of the reasons you didn't want this job uh, in the athletic department at full-time basis was, you know, Mike Bones, new guy coming in and give him an opportunity to pick who he wanted there. How welcoming, you know, was the, you know, with Mike Bone and the new people there that, you know, going from one department for another, how, how welcome did you feel coming over there? I, I can't tell you how great it was during the seven month period working uh, in athletics, especially working with Mike. Uh, it, it, it says something when you have 35 years of athletic uh, administration experience. Um, I don't think we could have gotten through this, and we're still going through this, without having someone in leadership with that amount of experience. And so, uh, you know, people may not understand how many decisions that are made regarding our athletes that are off the field or off the court decisions. And, and Mike is just remarkable when it comes down to, to making those decisions. If he doesn't know, he'll say he doesn't know. If he needs more time to think about it, he'll say that. If he needs us to do more research and, and give us more information behind the scenes, he'll do that. And, and so, and then the other thing is he allows his people to push back. If, if, if there are things that he's thinking one way about it and, and suddenly, you know, people on the staff are thinking a different way. I mean, he gives you that opportunity to, to push back. And so that is so refreshing and it, it worked out well. And I think he has a tremendous staff around him. There, there are a lot of people around him who want to make this experience at, at USC for these athletes an enriched experience. It's good to hear. And I, I, you know, just from what your comments were there, I wanted to get your take on 
the future of the USC athletic pro- program with uh, with Mike Bone in charge. Obviously, there's been some you know some rough times, not just in the athletic department, but the university as a whole. There's lawsuits and all kinds of crazy stuff going on with the scandals. But uh, it sounds like you feel pretty confident in the the future ath- uh, in the athletic department going forward. I do, I do. I think that uh, um, we have made a number of really good decisions. I, I, I think working between Clay Hilton and working with Mike and Brandon um, and bringing in the right coaches for football, especially uh, coaches who can recruit, coaches who can teach, coaches who are well-respected. I think that has really helped us. I think our recruiting is it's obviously it's in the top 10 right now because I think we're ranked in the top 10 in the country and I think we're going to close out really strong. So I, I think that, uh, uh, you get good players. Uh, that's the beginning of it. Then you got to coach them up. You got to teach them and then you have to have the execution. Yes. The, uh, you, you talked about that endowment for some of the non-revenue generating sports. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen with the pandemic. Everyone knows if football doesn't happen, it's such a huge part of the of athletic department budgets. Is there a real concern there at USC? You feel that there could be some, you know, longtime sports that that go away just because of the the budgetary issues by, caused by the pandemic. I, I can't say exactly where that is because people have to understand that you know we we lost uh, probably. 65, 70% of our spring revenue because we, we didn't have uh, the Pac-12 tournament. We didn't get funds from the NC2A tournament. And then all those other sports that we would have gotten some other funds from. So we're already down that amount, okay? And then coming into the season, what they're telling us uh, thus far, and it, and it changes almost every day, uh, we may not be able to put more than maybe 15,000 people in the Coliseum. And so if you have 77,500 that could go in and you can only get about 15,000 in there, then that's a lot of lost revenue also. So then, and then we cut back some games that we're going to play. So we just don't know the magnitude. We hopefully we can get through the season and, and, and play the full schedule. Uh, and then we'll see where we are from there. The uh, you mentioned, you know, when you were working there, looking forward to the Pac-12 tournament, and it's really like that the Rudy Gobert moment, you know, when he he gets the uh, test positive, and and the NBA ends up shutting down, and everything starts shutting down. Um, there was a you know a couple weeks ago, there was an interesting moment when the Big Ten came out and said we're going to play a conference only schedule, and then a day later, the Pac-12 came out and said the same thing. Uh, was that? A little shocking in the athletic department, or is this like, wow, this is a this is a shift? Like we've just lost our Alabama game and our Notre Dame game. I don't I don't know what you guys thought about that when when all that came down. Yeah, that was huge. That was huge because that was the Alabama game was a big a big revenue generating game, and so to take that off the books that that was huge. Yeah, well, we'll see where we, we don't. No one knows where it's going to go from here. Uh, trying to stay on top of things. I know you see like the Miami Marlins had like 19 players and coaches test positive, but the rest of the major league baseball is doing okay. So hopefully maybe that's a good sign. Maybe it's a cautionary uh, tale. And we should know by the end of the week from the PAC 12, what the schedule is. Um, so we're, we're, we're itching there. And you even mentioned yeah. 
fans in the stands. Like I haven't even thought about that lately, but I, you know, that's, I think that's an optimistic view. I like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hope that there are fans in the stands. I, I really do because, uh, even though it would be a reduced amount, uh, uh, I, I think it makes a difference. Yeah. I think well, it really makes a difference. One last thing before I let you go, Bill, the, um, there's contingency plans. You know, uh, I think Mike Bone talked about you've got a plan for everything. Larry Scott did. Um, it, it hasn't seemed to get a lot of traction. We've seen California high school football shift to the spring. Would it be super complex? Would it be really difficult to try to pull off a spring football schedule, in your opinion? No, I, I think that option is on the table. Uh, you may have an option where you play uh, October, November, December, and play bowl games in January. You may have an option where you, you play January, February, March, and, and then have uh, uh, April bowl games. Uh, I, I think all of that is on the table. Uh, all right. Well, we appreciate your time. William Bill Holland, uh, man, just amazing. Coming in, seven months helping out the USC Athletic Department. Now you're back. You're back to your regular job, right, at USC? You started that this week? Right. I'll start August the 3rd. Okay. Uh, raising money for scholarships. Anyone out there who would like to uh, uh, donate to to the athletic department or any other program, one of the great things about working in Central Advancement, you get to raise money for all the different schools uh, for various programs, and so not just scholarships. There may be other initiatives that you would like to, to endow or contribute to. Uh, you can still contact me about those also. So, how, yeah, how would they get a hold of you? It's, uh, it's Holland. W at USC.edu. All right. Hollow W at USC.edu. They've had like, it's funny when email addresses started coming out, USC would, was doing the like kind of last name, first initial sort of thing. Um, way back when I was in school, like when, and they're, they're still doing the same thing, which is funny. Like, it, you know, now everyone has like, you know, bill.holland at gmail.com or whatever, but like USC still doing it the old way. So <laughs> Right, that's funny. But uh, so Holland W at uh, USC.edu if you want to uh, get in contact with Bill and uh, help out with the scholarship. So, Bill, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Ryan, thank you so much and fight on. All right, fight on to Bill. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to the special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.